cold brew coffee with clean, simple ingredients. Quite simply, it is one of our favorite beverages here at the Rock Savages podcast. One of the best single source and mindful coffee brands on the market today is Caveman Coffee Company. Go to their website today, cavemancoffeeco.com, and check out their excellent cold brew nitro, saber-tooth dark roast, vanilla latte, and much, much more. That way you guys can support small business and this podcast by entering promo code ROCK at checkout, R-O-C-K at checkout, to receive 15% off every single order now and forever. And be sure to live your best pirate life with Caveman Coffee Company. Yes, indeed. Something I know about because I'm a drummer, you know. Coiled strings. I really like guitars. They're fascinating. They are fascinating. They're works of art. Can be. Yes. I mean, then there's, you know, there's a scale. Good and bad. Yeah. Just like any anything, though. You get what you pay for. Yeah. It's not like anything, though, because, yeah, you do get what you pay for, but, you know, just it just depends on the player. The drums are the same way. You know, bass and all that shit. It just depends on the player. I mean, a lot of players can make a piece of shit guitar sound fucking great if they got the right amp and they got the right technique and feel and all that shit. No, true, hundred percent. That's the magic of playing music. Yeah, you'd be surprised on uh, what uh, what you actually hear coming through the speakers on some of your favorite recordings. The 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 instruments they were using. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. That's no doubt. Like, I watched. I remember seeing uh, Rich Robinson. It was like back in 2002. He was playing with this man called Hookah Brown. The Black Crows just broke up for the first time. And uh, he was out on tour with this band. And we were like waiting for him to come on. And he has a, a, a red Gibson, I think it's a 335 of his big hollow bodies. Is, it, is that what the 335 is? Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. think it's a 335. It's a they big, have a couple different hollow body styles. Yeah, it's a big, big body guitar. It's red. You know, people that know him know that guitar. An S335 or something like that. Yeah, there's 330s, 335s. That's what it is. It's 335 then. And uh, the roadie was out before the band came on, and he had that that guitar, and I was like, oh, that's rich. It's 335. That's He's had that since Shake Your Money Maker. And, uh, and this guy couldn't get it to fucking dial in, man. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful guitar. No, not my, you know, five's guitar player. I don't know, but. I'd like to have one. Yeah, sure, they sound great. But this roadie, man, he had that thing and he could not dial it in. It kept screeching and feeding back and shit. All the way up to the point where the band came on. And as soon as Rich came on, he just passed it over to him. And, you know, he's kind of, like, having dialogue on the stage dialogue or whatever. Kind of shrugged his shoulders, and Rich just grabbed it and fucking cranked that shit up. There was no feedback or nothing. He's like, just filled the whole room full of shit. I was like, yeah, see, the, the two people, 
I mean, I'm sure that tech, you know, knew what the fuck he was doing, or he wouldn't be a guitar tech, but, um, two, two different people, man, two different hands, you know, you know, different set of hands and different feel, completely. Potentially different styles, you know, different ways yeah. of playing a guitar. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it makes a big difference. I mean, I've... Curran Murphy from uh, Custom Audio Mutations, you know, he's one of the kind... He's the kind of guy that can pick up any guitar through any amp and, like, play it how it's supposed to be. You know, he's yeah. just one of those guys. He's an executor. Right. You know, and he, he's just experienced, you know, and he uh, had me playing my guitar, which I think I know how to play through right. one of his amps that I'm just not used to playing out of and and while I could play what I, I couldn't execute the way I'm used to executing because you know my I'm just used to my amp the way it is wow on your own guitar right on my own guitar and I mean it sounded good but it sounded it was him playing it was not was next level I mean it's just that you know, one of those type of guitar players right Wow, yeah, it's, a, it's such a, it's a human experience when you're playing an instrument, and drummers are the same way, man. I mean, you can play a piece of shit drum set, you put good heads on it, and you got good technique, you can make that fucker sound right. good, you know, but then somebody else will jump on and just sounds like shit, it sounds completely different. That's what, This is what a lot of folks, like, who aren't musicians take for granted, they just think, they just, everybody makes it look easy, and it's... It's not. It's a very human experience and a very individual experience, you know. Which kind of, you know, brings us to our guest coming up, um, Evert Wilbrink. He's the CEO of Taie Guitars out of Nashville. They're handmade, um, fairly custom-made. I think you have to order them. Um, no two guitars are alike, as I understand. We'll learn more about it, but, uh, Yes, yeah, you know, they're just diving into the human experience of it. So. Yeah, very cool, ornate. Yeah, works of art for sure. Um, very unique. You know. This is kind of a new subject matter for us, but I think we need to dive into this stuff. I'm going to give him a ring and see what's up. Okay, how's it going, man? This is uh, Bo and Paul from the Rock Savages podcast. This is Evert. Hey guys, it's going real well here. Thank you. Are you in Fort Lauderdale? No, uh, normally I'm in Nashville. I got a Fort Lauderdale cell phone. Normally I'm in Nashville, but uh, this week I'm in Asheville. I dropped the N, North Carolina. Right, right on. Oh, nice. Yeah, here it's very nice out in Asheville. Yeah, and in uh, Nashville is great. Asheville is great as well. Um, my favorite bar here is a guitar bar nice what do they do there the bar is in the shape of a guitar okay. of a guitar body and uh, the lamps are hanging on a, on a neck a real i think about 10 yards uh, gibson neck and uh, they turn the stage around uh, so that uh, the loading dock is now the stage and it's it's over a big yard so a lot of people can sit outside. Nice. And there's a lot of Grateful Dead, Rock, uh, Rolling Stones, infused bands playing there. It's, it's pretty cool. Right on. Is, uh, is Nashville kind of open? You know, is, is this place, you know, open to the public? Yeah, again? Na Nashville and Asheville are both open. And Asheville is in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's a little relaxed in Nashville. It's a smaller city. It's more right. hippie-like. Hippie 
Nashville, there's, there's a couple of places in Nashville that I'm not too happy about. On Broadway, there where there's about 60, 70 bars where you can see 100 bands in one hour. Right. Uh, that's too crowded. It's uh, people just, um, you can walk over the heads. Uh, people go from bar to bar. It's really the big tourist magnet of Nashville. It's kind of scary because there's a lot of guys without masks and uh, right in your face. Right. Um, it's a little relaxer here. I'm, uh, we're, we're out in Nashville for a couple of weeks visiting some dealers in the neighborhood here, doing some stuff. And um, and slight vacation. I'm I'm writing on a writing a book here as well about my uh, my rock and roll kamikaze stories. So it's a it's a bit of a hideout for the shop. I'm uh, the, the shop can deal without me at the moment. Right on. Are so are you, are you a musician or you said rock and roll lifestyle? So uh, give us a little little background. Well, I, I spent most of my life in the rock and roll business, uh, touring with Bob Marley, uh, hanging out with Bad Company, hanging out with Worst Company, <laughs> uh, breaking uh, breaking Blondie in Europe, um, signing John Jett to her first uh, solo deal. So I've been around, and it's a couple of nice stories that my mother would really go berserk over that uh, I'm finally penning down now in a book. Oh, nice! We can't wait to uh, when 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 will that book be out? Uh, there's no pressure on this side. I did a, a Dutch version because originally I'm uh, from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm not a native speaker. People have asked me to translate those stories for a long time, and they lose in translation. So uh, I'm trying to rewrite them and, and add some new stuff. You said you uh, signed Joan Jett, so you're working for a record label. Yeah, in 1980, I worked for uh, BMG International, and uh, and Joni just left the Runaways, and she was recording with uh, two of the Sex Pistols, Paul Cook in London, uh, Kenny Laguna producing it, and uh, it was just a chance meeting, and I go like, I don't know what you want to do anymore, but uh, hey, you're uh, you're working with me, so we did the first album. Um, Cube. Now I forgot what the name of the. Ah, it's the same title as the, the movie. I wish I could help mm. you. What? Oops. Jeez. Yeah. I, I don't know right offhand. I just saw Joan Jet. Uh, I think it was two summers ago. Uh, yeah. Open for Heart, and it was super amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. She's been touring with Heart for two, three years in a row, and then uh, picking up other boy bands on the side. Uh, she's just an amazing. She's got the spirit of rock and roll. Bad reputation. Bad reputation. That's it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> my memory. Yes. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll is as eroded my memory. I guess. Oh, I hear you, man. We're getting into we're getting to that same age where it's like, what? We're kind of pushing old information out and pushing new information in and it can't all fit in there, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, now we opened up a can of worms, so. Let's let's start from how you got into the record business, and then we'll get into the guitar business. But let's 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 run that route. How'd you start working for a record company? You know what? I, I saw a guy in the '60s uh, on a bike, and he had a Bob Dylan album, the first Bob Dylan album, under his arm, uh, biking over a bridge. And I was sitting there having an ice cream, and I got like, "Fuck, he's got a Bob Dylan album." 
and uh, ever since things have gone downhill, I wanted to work for Bob. I wanted to work for Bob Dylan, so I left Amsterdam University where I was studying political science. Um, I was kind of bored already because I, I was the youngest guy there, and there was a lot of political movement, and my parents wanted me to study, and I got like, mm. so I got like, I want to work for Bob Dylan. And then my father said, I want you to have a, a PhD first. I got like, that's taking that's going to take another three years. Um, who knows where Bob Dylan will be then? Well, Bob Dylan's still around, and I still don't have a PhD, so I've been pretty <laughs> successful. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Uh, what was who was the first artist you signed? Was it Joan Jett? No, the very first, I'm, I'm old, man. I, I started working in uh, 66 for Columbia Records. Oh, wow. Okay, so you really did so work before, for before your Before your granddad was born. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably my, my parents. But um, And the very, the very first artist that I saw, um, I, I moved, seven months later, I moved to, uh, I saw some artists, of course, but the, the, nothing that I can really remember being important, but... I moved to Warner Bros. seven months later, and the uh, president of the company said, oh, hello, what are you doing here? I said, I'm doing press. Um, he goes like, hmm, tomorrow you got to pick up the kings. Now, well, I didn't have a driver's license. I had no money. Um, I never, I'd never even been to an airport before. So I went hitchhiking to the airport. I had no idea why I had to pick up the kings, where to put it to. I was totally green, man. Oh, man. I just, I had no idea. But everything worked out all right. And, uh, and and we became friends. In fact, 10 years later, I had a band open up for the Kings uh, on, the, on the American tour, Herman Brood and his Wild Romance. 70, what is, I think 78, 79, oh, wow. that period. And I was in LA and uh, I, I decided to go. So, uh, I walked into the dressing room of the Kings and said, hey, fuck, what are you doing here? I said, well, my band is opening up for you guys. What's the band? I got like, man, this is the 22nd gig you guys are doing together. You don't know who's supporting you? I got like, no, we got no bloody idea. And I said, well, it's my band, and let me, let me introduce you to the guys. And uh, could you do me a favor? Don't turn off the light. Uh, don't uh, turn up the lights for 29 minutes and uh, and kill the sound. Just let those guys do their stuff. And, uh, and call, oh, we didn't know it was your band. They call, you didn't even know you had a band there. So I uh, said, if you treat them nice, your next record in the in the Europe is going to be number one. And I said, I just said it out of the blue. I had no idea what the next record was going to be. But um, I worked at BMG at the time. And um, I was discussing buying Arista Records uh, for BMG. And the Kings were on the label, and they had that live album, One for the Road. So we decided to release, as soon as the deal was done, we decided to release Lola as a single. And um, I got it to number one, so I kept my promise. Yeah, that's a big, big song to this day. Yeah, absolutely. And what I didn't realize at that time, but only in the mid 90s I realized that when I saw the Kings in the uh, just happened to see the Kings because I had another band supporting and I saw Dave Davis play on stage 
and it, and it was an eye opener because in the in the sixties and the seventies that turned into a rock band. But for me, it was more a poppy band with the singles that were that that did it. But Dave is a killer guitar player, man. Right. So, Amazing guitar player. So you are a guitar player then? No, oh, I okay. refuse to. I refuse to play an instrument. Oh right, okay. Yeah. I've been working. I've been working with so many great players that why would I waste my time trying to to not even get close to the to the to the most mediocre guitar player I've been managing or been doing deals for? Yeah, it's like all the killers around you. You it they it, they demotivated you to do it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Said, hey, I stood on I stood on stage with Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter. And you think that I could do, I could be of the same quality? Forget it, man. Forget it. <laughs> it's quite a high standard. I, I, I understand. Like, well, I, I kind of feel the same way sometimes. Where you just see this, like, totally killer. I'm a drummer and Paul's a guitar player, but you see a totally killer drummer or whatever you're playing, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm not that guy. Because, I mean, a lot of the guys that are that good are playing constantly. So it's uh, it's hard to keep up, man. Absolutely, absolutely. And and then there's a lot of guitar players that don't have a reputation that I see. There's, there must be about 70,000 guitar players just in Nashville, and there's some amazing guys there. And I'd rather help them get a chance to, to, to be in the limelight than trying to do something myself. My wife plays guitar, so it was fun to do an album with, with her, uh, but... It's, it's not something I, I'd like to do, have my family be on, be on tour. I'd li- I really like to see other guys that I can work for. And uh, and I've, be, I've been on the background with for many bands that, that I'm really proud of that nobody even knows about that, that I was involved. But it's great to just put it in a book and, and come up with some crazy stories about things that I think I remember, but... Is it really true? That's too crazy <laughs> to even too crazy that it could even happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to recall that kind of stuff. I mean, we're, me and you are kind of going well, it's like the that. telephone game, you know. The, yeah. the the story gets told a couple times, and the story changes a little bit, and what? Yeah, what, but it, but you know what? The stories. I'm I'm really afraid of hate. So if I stand on a Sunday newspaper, I I get dizzy. But uh, there's a couple of stories like me uh, climbing the fire escapes to the Water of Astoria Hotel and going to the secret floor there and climbing through a window um, <laughs> and, uh, and having a, a problem with Steve, with Frank Sinatra's bodyguard and stuff like that. I got like, that is too weird. Was that? I must yeah. have been out of. I must have been out of it, but. It must have been real because I remember it, and right. you don't make that up. If I make it up, it's a, it's a story. But I'm not very. My fantasy is is limited. I cannot make up stories out of the blue. Everything has to be based on something that's really happened. But and rock and roll is a fantasy world in the first place. All right. I mean, I, I, us. I mean, we're original musicians, and we've we've played big shows and small shows but we've had those kind of stories too i mean just crazy shit happens you just run into you run into the guys from jackass in akron ohio on a wednesday night at some show you know and you're like what are you even doing here so you know and it really happens and then you try to tell the story and people look at you like you're full of shit but i'm 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 sure everything that happened in the 70s actually kind of did happen in some fashion 
I'm, I'm curious as to what it's like now though like on the music scene i mean obviously there's not a whole lot going on but the the introduction of the the cell phone and the social media that had to have changed behavior behaviors yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know what in the old days somebody would play me a song and i go like man it's a hit record i'll break it and and we did and uh, we we put a lot of careers together now it's so difficult because they say everybody has a chance with the internet it's not true it's so complicated oh yeah yeah there's it's so watered down i mean there's so much out there it's hard to make an impact well that too that too and 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 there's way less venues uh, I, I don't know whether you guys ever heard of the Michael Stanley band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, they, they, they could play from Cleveland to Houston. Uh, they, they would tour from Cleveland to Houston, take a year to do that, uh, play 100, 150 gigs in the meantime, and never double one, and then go back. There were so many venues just in the Midwest. And I remember sitting there with Clive Davis, and he goes like, I'm dropping the Michael Stanley band. And he like, Hey, it's one of my favorite bands. Why would you drop them to sell 300,000 records? You go like, well, they never sold a record in New York. They don't sell in Los Angeles. Uh, we're wasting our time. And go like, but the Midwest is, is such a big market now. Right. I think most of those venues are no longer there. Yeah, you're, and, you're right. uh, and COVID really killed the rest of them. Yeah, it's, it's, if not, it's going to. I mean, if this keeps going on, I don't know what we're going to do because we're small level musicians. We play those small rooms all the time. It's like, what? Are they even going to be there when it's, when this opens back up? If it opens back up, it's, it's it's depressing. We talk about it quite a bit on this podcast. So, Yeah, and, and then the other, the other thing, of course, is that the agencies and uh, and a lot of the venues have exclusive bookings with, with one organizer, and it's – it's it's a monologue. It's a, it's one monologue. It's it's a monopoly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really stupid. Maybe maybe there's something good coming out of COVID. If a lot of places are closing down, maybe new ones will open up, and maybe they're not listening to the financial gods anymore. Yeah, it's uh we, we had a discussion with uh, a, a a band on our last podcast called King Buffalo, and they're from New York and. Sean was like, you know, there's this could be a rock and roll renaissance because everybody's at home writing songs and making records. So once this all opens back up, there's probably going to be a ton of new music and everybody's going to want to go on tour. So it might be a really good thing. We'll see how it goes, you know. I'm, I'm very positive about uh, 2021. I mean, it, it was such a nightmare with COVID and Trump and you throw in everything else. It's been just one bloody nightmare <clears throat> for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I, I still saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, I think we're getting out of the tunnel at the moment. Yeah, well, let's hope so, man. I mean, it's one kind of one day at a time, but we'll see how it goes, man. I think we'll be okay. We're, we need to all keep that mindset, everyone that's in this industry. Um, yeah, there's, there's one, one little thing that happened uh, two weeks ago. Uh, when John Jett did her first European tour as a solo artist, I, need, I needed uh, roadies, equipment, a bus, and a band to go on tour. Uh, I even had a sleeper on, a sleeper on the, um, the floor of the family that had two guys in the band, and the band was called The Rousers. Now, I, I didn't really follow those guys anymore. They, they lived 10 miles from my house, but I, at some stage I lost contact. 
just two weeks ago, I got a record uh, from one of the guys, or at least a record to be, and uh, I got like, this guy must be 63 or whatever, why would he start a career? So I played the demos, and I got like, fuck, man, this is just great. This this is the same level as David Bowie and, and Roxy Music, and it's, it's amazing. So... I'm really positive about that. The, 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 uh, after a lot of boring records, Bruce Stings, Springsteen made a record that had a lot of hope and energy. I got everything is is coming together very nicely this year. I'm very positive. Yeah, we have to stay there. I, yeah, I think so, man. I, I can't wait to hear all the new music that's going to come out. It's coming. It's coming. For Absolutely. Sure. And I can't wait to see to hear some old music too, because uh, just. Recently, Andy uh, Summers of the Police bought one of our guitars. Um, uh, Mike Campbell of the the Heartbreakers, who's now playing in Fleetwood Mac, wants a guitar. I got like, right, the guitar business is hopefully picking up as well. Mike Campbell's playing in Fleetwood Mac. Wasn't he doing the Dirty Knobs? No, he's yeah, he's doing that, but he's also going on tour with Fleetwood Mac. Okay, that's cool, man. That's real cool. Yeah, it's going to be amazing because it's it's. Uh, a born again, born again Fleetwood Mac. It's Fleetwood Mac version five, I guess. Right on. Or six or seven. Hopefully Stevie's in it. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> one of the one of the stories in my book is uh, how Fleetwood Mac got car sick. Oh no. Uh, I picked him up from the airport the second day of January 1969 when they had a number one record with Oh Well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the first time ever I drove a Volkswagen bus. One of those flimsy cars that you see in all the hippie oh, movies. Yeah. Our bass player has like what, two of them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, and they are not very steady on the roads, but and it was storming. It oh, was yeah. storming. So I picked him up from the airport to go to the TV studio, and uh, it was such bad weather and, and at least three of the guys were throwing up. It was really bad. <laughs> I, so that's Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, obviously 69. Yeah, Peter Green and uh, Jeremy Spencer, Danny Kerwin, three amazing guitar players. I think oh, Danny yeah. Kerwin is Danny Kerwin was just as fucked up as the rest, I guess. But when I saw um, uh, them, what's the name of the band in Nashville? Them Witches? All Them Witches? Yeah, I saw them play once, and I walked up to the guitar player, and I got like, man, you remind me of Danny Kerwin. You probably don't know who he is. He said, no, he's one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. We love All Them Witches. They're one of our favorite bands. They're, they're fantastic. And the guy who reminded me of Danny Kerwin, same kind of of yeah. fluid playing it's uh yeah cool ben is is very he's a, a fantastic guitar player you know you can tell he's Absolutely. very diverse yeah that new record yeah, is amazing yeah. we rant about those guys constantly because you, you know you you have that old school work ethic so do they so i mean that's what one one of the things that draws us to them is they're they're just hard working band we had uh robbie stabler on uh the podcast of uh, a couple months ago now yeah but uh Wow, that's a really cool Fleetwood Mac story. You know, we can talk about Greeny. Did Fleet? Did uh, Peter Green have Greeny then? Did you see it? The legendary. Excuse me. Did did uh, did Peter uh, did uh, Peter Green have the uh, his Les Paul Greeny at that time? I think so. Man, it's, it's been, it's been <laughs> a couple of days. It's been a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to guitars. Um, how did you get into the guitar industry from the, from the record industry? Um, I had my own when I came back from America. 
I, I was running King Biscuit in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the Netherlands. And I started Corazon Records in 1999. And uh, I got a call out of the blue of a guy uh, who, who said, well, why the fuck don't you know me? I guess I, I don't know everybody. He said, I've been... Having, uh, I've been having, having major success in the Netherlands with a lot of bands, and and it's weird that you don't know me if you know every other Dutch band. So I, I got together with him. I said, I'll give you 10 minutes. Let's have a drink. I'll give you 10 minutes. It turned into a six-hour meeting. <laughs> and uh, the guy was the uh, acoustic player for Joe Ely. Taya Reintep, a guy from the Netherlands playing acoustic for Joe Ely. He's been with the band for 14, 15 years, I guess. But he also had a flamenco band and he wanted me to release his flamenco records. Well, I said yes to him. And uh, in 2005, I moved back to America, bought a house in Nashville, and um, he was touring out of Austin. He came to my house, he showed me a guitar that he built. And apparently, he had been building guitars when he was a kid. Uh, his father and him were building guitars. Came, his father was an inventor who came up with a lot of different circuitry for amplifiers and guitars and whatever. So there, there was something weird with this guitar. It looked great and it sounded amazing. So I set up a meeting with Les Paul and uh, Les played that guitar for about 30 minutes in the Iridium Club in New York. And, and uh, I kept playing and I was getting nervous. And, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think? And he goes, he just kept playing. And he gave the guitar back after about half an hour and said, man, this is the closest to the ideal guitar I have in my head. Wow. And I said to Taya, let's stop fucking around with records. It was just after, in 2004, every, everything became free downloads and stuff. And I got like, let's not fuck around with records anymore. Stop traveling five hours for a $350 gig. Let's build guitars, and that's what we started doing in 2006. Wow, and, and kind of modeling it after the Gibson Les Paul. No, just just doing the own, your own thing. Yeah, Ty had, had a list of 200 things that he hated in guitars. Why? If I play flamenco, I, play, I bring one guitar, but if I play electric, I had to bring five, six guitars to really get the sounds that I want. Right. So. Well, he had this list of 200 things, and I think we addressed about 140, 142 of those points in the guitar. Rebuilding a guitar from scratch. The body shape, of course, looks like a Les Paul, but it's a little slimmer. It's a little lighter as well. Everything else is different. The wiring is different. The, the, way, the way our strings are spaced out is slightly different. So... If a guitar player picks up one of our guitars, they go like, oh, it's a little weird, or it's a wider neck that I'm used. But after a couple of minutes, most of the time, it's like, fuck, I didn't know a guitar could do this. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. There is no digital stuff in there. There's, there's no batteries in there or active uh, elements. Uh, old school, it, huh? It's old school, but we use some uh, 1930s hi-fi technology in it. So if you, in the, the, we originally we had the, the mood circuitry. Later in 2015, we made it the Mojo. If you use that knob, you can go from low growling Les Paul to high pitch Fender. And there's so much in between that nobody else has. 
because if you have a um, uh, a switch that goes from um, from hamburger to single coil, you go from you play either the Fender style or the uh, the Gibson style. We have everything in between. Taye in the studio even got a a, a Fashion six string out of his electric guitar. Now are these all handmade, individual? Yeah, all of them. Wow. So not one guitar is, is alike from the uh, from the next. No, you, you know what we we've did about we've done about a thousand twelve hundred guitars, I guess, in uh, in fourteen years. We do we do an average of about a hundred guitars, which is not enough to even make money at this moment. But it's it's really satisfying. We uh, if if we see a guitar, most of the time we go like, oh, we built that one for so and so. It's it's like they all have their own fingerprints. That that's that's amazing. I th- you know, me being a drummer, I'm just outsider looking in on all this stuff, and it's it, they're so so ornate. I think just guitars in general are, are works of art, and especially the way you guys build them because they're they're one of a kind. Each one of them, essentially, and it's a uh, you know it's kind of getting back to that old school mentality because that's how Gibsons and Fenders used to be too. They're you know they used to be you know more original than they are now because they're so they're so mass produced uh yeah they, I, th- I think what's happening with those guys although for it like for defender uh master builders i have a lot of respect what what basically happened is that leo made it designed a guitar in the in the 50s and the technology never really changed now i don't want uh I don't want the high-tech technology in it because that's not what a guitar is all about. But you can improve on what you have, right. and they haven't really looked at it. If the, for instance, on a Gibson, Gibson has the the, the reputation of you, you drop your Gibson, you break your neck. Well, you drop your tire, and you you're surprised that it didn't break the neck like a Gibson. But I, we've never had a, a, a broken neck in a tire guitar. Is that a neck through body? It's a, the uh, it's a glued in, okay. uh, but the neck is a uh, the neck itself is three piece plus the headstock. What we do is we we, uh, we cut the neck wood, then we uh, we saw it in three and flip the middle part. So the the uh, the pressure of the wood is compensated by the middle part, and then the way we uh, we glue in the headstock makes it impossible to break. Does Ty, no, does Ty is, still... This, I'm sorry, go ahead. This is not an invitation for people that hear this to break their <laughs> guitar next. But. Yeah, don't give one to Pete Townsend. That's for sure. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a crime. Not even he can can break a tie, man. Come on. Uh, I don't know. We should, be, uh, we should truly try that out, yeah. yeah start swinging it like an axe. <laughs> uh, does does Ty still hand grave all of them? Hand engrave, I'm sorry? No, we, uh, he only does the master guitars hand engraved because it, it's, it's taking so much. so much time. It's yeah. taking two, two, three months to really hand engrave a master guitar. And uh, he's got problems with his hands. He had just had a, a mini stroke. Oh, um, so it's, yeah, fortunately, fortunately he's getting his health back. He, he's been engraving uh, last week again, so it's going well. But it's 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 a, it's going to make the guitar so expensive, and it's not, our guitars are already expensive because of the fact that that we use such uh, high quality stuff. 
for instance, if, if we use the, the pot that uh, our big brothers in, in um, Nashville are using, these are probably 40, 50 cents to buy. Uh, we use one of the pots that we use is a $60 pot. Wow. And, and it's just one that we need for the, uh, the dynamics and, uh, and the quality of the sound. Right, okay. That's, that's crazy. Well, I mean, that's important, though. I mean, we, we were just talking before we got you on the phone how I, I guess it, it the, the player matters a lot, but, I mean, you've got to have a good piece of wood or whatever you're playing to. It, well, if, it, you can't play, if you can't play, every guitar will sound shitty. Right. Yeah, right. But, and and uh, we, we make good-looking guitars, but if that would sound shitty, that would still be shitty guitars. So I think it's a combination. The, the hands of the player are, are the most important. But I think the dedication of what you put in a guitar is important too. Sure. Um, if you if you buy a guitar just of the rack, a hundred or hundred fifty dollar guitar, it really helps to have a pedal board with forty fifty uh, gadgets on the floor. Sure. But but I, I I'll I'll bet you that if you take one of our guitars without a pedal board, you can beat everybody. I I've seen. I've seen Rich Robinson from Black Rose play Taiz. That's how I got. That's how I got interested in. I'm like, wow, because that was such an ornate guitar, and it sounds great. But he, he sounds great playing any guitar. But he, he, he's that kind of player. He's got a lot of effects and small amps. But it was su- such a big sound. It just fit his sound perfectly, which is already big. But uh, it's players like that who, who all is playing Taiz this in this day well, one of the one of the guys that i really like is kate foner uh he's a he's a new guy from uh the middle of texas uh i saw him yesterday night play the cma awards his his wife is gabby barnett she, barnett she just had a double platinum album he came through the ranks of american idol and um and he's a he's a great player I love him because when he came uh, with American Idol to Nashville, the guys from the big companies offered him free guitars, and he he said, no, "I don't need another guitar. I already have a guitar." <laughs> and they got like, "No, you you can have this for free." And they got like, "No, I don't need it because I won't, won't play it." And they said, "What kind of guitar you got? The Thai guitar? I don't know what that is." And they got like, "Well, I'll show it to you." <laughs> He's got the iconic one with the. Uh, the turquoise, turquoise rim right. and the uh, aluminum plate, which is the most iconic guitar we ever built. Everybody recognizes that, although right. when they recognize it, they say, is this a Semedis? So right. we don't, we don't, that. yeah, we don't build enough guitars to really be seen as Taya, but at least they recognize it as an iconic guitar. Right. And, uh, and he, uh, he, he plays a, uh, an Apache, and he's got one of the Ridge Robinson signature uh, guitars too, the Magpie Salute. Oh yeah, uh, the uh, is that the 335? No, no, no. That's the one. The 335 is a jazz cat, the 335 kind of guitar. Right. But the uh, the Magpie Salute has the uh, full aluminum plate on the on the front with the uh, Magpie feathers. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I'll have to check that one out for sure. Yeah, they kind of some some of them with the uh, the aluminum plate on the front. They, they remind me of Zimatus, but it's like 
you, you guys are doing something completely different with it. I think they're your the Taie guitars are way more ornate. I think you've gone above and beyond as far as that goes. They are just works of art. They're gorgeous guitars and they sound amazing. So yeah, I think that what what Tony did was he he tried to build a better Gibson, right? And uh, and uh, and ornate. We we started from scratch and and doing stuff now. Uh, Tony and Taya were friends. Uh, Tony built two guitars for Taya, and um, one was a pearl front uh, with an abalone outline. So our pearly is the only guitar that uh, that you could say is, is a Semedis because it was a tribute to Tony. When Tony died, Taya decided to that we would would build a guitar as a tribute, and uh, that's the La Perla. Uh, other than that, I think. Sometimes I'm getting a little, a little, I have a little bit of a weird feeling where people say, is that a Semedis? Just because it has some aluminum and doesn't right. make it a Semedis, right? right? It's got six strings, doesn't make it a Gibson. Right, right. But uh, on the other hand, uh, Tony Tony is uh, an her a hero and an icon, so I shouldn't really be upset if they compare it. But I think at this moment in time, we make better guitars than... Um, than the ones that have his name on it. Well, they've they've licensed all that out to uh, who who makes Zamatus now? It's some uh, isn't it some Japanese company now making Zamatus? There was a Japanese company that used to bootleg Zamatus guitars. They made the imitations. Right. And uh, just before Tony died, um, they bought the, the brand from him for a million three, I believe. Right. Uh, so his widow was not left without any money. I think they still get a royalty too. And um, so the, the the tradition is there, but I don't know whether. Uh, well, okay, different story. It's no longer it's, Tony is no longer involved, so it's a different yeah, story. Right. I I got a, a question for you. Do you think it's companies like Zematis that are kind of putting the bigger companies like Gibson and Fender on notice as far as because I mean over the last we'll say whatever decade or two um you know they've they've kind of started to lack in the quality of their some of their guitars to mass produce them do you think a company like Zim, or uh well we could say Zimatis but uh, Taiye too the uh, you guys that are doing more of the handcrafted and you know the the handmade stuff do you think they're it's kind of leaning on them to kind of go back to what made them great in the first place because I, I know they're kind of starting to do that again with the custom stuff you think that's you know, the case? It's, it's really it's really hard to, to to say what you need to do in guitars. I remember the first time we met Paul Sorry Smith in uh, in Dallas. Paul looked at our guitars and he said, "You're gonna make a lot of those guitars." And got like, "Really? That's that's great to hear that from one of the big guys, right?" Right. And he goes like, "Don't expect to make any money the twelve first twelve years." And we thought that was funny. <laughs> but if, but in fact we're now 40 years down the road and we're still not making money. It is it is hard to really compete with the the Chevys and the force of this business because a guitar player plays a Fender or a Gibson, and right. if somebody if somebody that doesn't know anything about guitars walks into a store, they see a Gibson or a Fender, they don't look at at the Semedis, or you you name them, they're there. If it doesn't look like a Fender, guys that make Fender copies, they make money. Right. Because they make something that people recognize as, oh, my father played this too, or my grandfather, and oh, that's the guitar I saw on stage there and there. So it doesn't really, it's, 
the, the same happens with people that want a red guitar. They walk into a store for a red guitar, and if they see it, oh, that's my guitar, man. It doesn't even matter what it sounds like, because once once they play that red guitar, they get all excited and buy it, right. even if it sounds like shit. Right. Guitar players are very conservative. Bass players are a little more willing to part with reality. But then again, uh, we make guitars and we've made a couple of basses for uh, Cliff Williams of ACDC and some other people, but that's that's not our, our strength at the moment. I think the uh, the guitars are our strength. The, uh, the, the, the arrow, the flying feet that we had a season assist from uh, Gibson on, uh, I think it's the best guitar we ever built. And I'll bring, I'll bring that guitar to a guitar battle and just bet $500 on it that nobody can even get close to that guitar. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to... We have to but get... We have to no go way, to Nashville. <laughs> there, there's no way... You know what? There's no way that that we can go mass production. If, if we make more than... Uh, I think our, our limit would be 300, 350 guitars. Uh, we have the team that can do it. We got the, the workplace that can do it. So if, if our guitars take off, then... To my opinion, 350 would sort of be the resistance. Anything that's more a, than that would make it mass-produced. That's and, a year? And, 350 a year? Yeah. Okay. Well, Gibson's is 800 a day, so we, we don't mean anything in the world. That's insane. Uh, that's it insane. is insane, but but it's it's hard to really do uh, mass production and, right. and, make, and build cheaper guitars because... Right. In the cheapest guitar that we had, we had twelve hundred dollars worth of material in it. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Man, that's a lot. Yeah, it's 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 impossible to build a cheaper guitar. The uh, if you look at the pickups, the the, the tuners, the wood. Uh, I once at a at a NAM, at a NAM show, this is Chinese guy who said. Ah, I can build you guitars for $150. Get away. I mean, I spent about $250 on wood. How can you build a whole guitar for $150? And and a friend of mine bought some uh, bootleg uh, Gibsons from China for, I think, one for $65 and one for $200, a 12-string for $200. And they sound amazing. But I think they're built in the same factory where Gibson built their guitars, only (laughs) they do it after 6 o'clock and they steal the parts because... How can you build a guitar for that price? I, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. Somebody has to teach me how to how to build a guitar under a thousand dollars. It's impossible. If there's a will, there's a way. I was going to ask you if you guys are going to delve into acoustic guitars, but that's probably not the case, huh? No, because you know what? There's a lot of great acoustic guitars. Right. There is. And uh, and uh, having said that, when I, in the sixties and seventies and the eighties, for the bands that I was managing. We always bought bought Gibson guitars and Fender basses, and uh, I think the, uh, for instance, the SG from the early '60s is a guitar that is really hard to beat. Right. Sometimes at guitar shows, I go like, "Okay, uh, bring your favorite guitar, A B it with our guitar. If you're not impressed, I give you 50 bucks." I am always afraid that somebody will show up with a with an SG of the early '60s, and I go like, "That's a guitar that it's an ugly guitar." But it's got this incredible sound. Right. Which I guess at the end of the day is what matters most. But I mean, it's like, 
you need to do both. I think you need to make the damn thing look good and sound good, and I think you guys have done that. I think in, in as ornate as they are, it's like, like you said in a, in a recent interview, you kind of got to make it look like a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did. Well, why would you make a, uh, a great guitar <laughs> look ugly? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. That... But, but, but you know what, it has a disadvantage too, because the first couple of shows where we brought the La Mora and the La India, the La Mora being the black plate with the ebony rim, mm-hmm. and the La India, uh, the, the, like the Apache, the metal plate with the, uh, the turquoise rim, people wouldn't even touch it because, like, man, it looks like a gypsy guitar. It cannot sound good because of the way it looks. And you really had to be very uh, rude to those guys. You need to play this. Plug it in, right. please. And and uh, that's narrow-minded, man. That's so crazy. Yeah, but that's 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 what it is. It doesn't look like a Fender. It doesn't look like an SD. It doesn't look like a well. It looks a little like a Les Paul, but then without the bling. Right. Uh, and and sometimes I get people say, "Can we have a little less bling?" I go like, "How about the Fox? Because that only has one aluminum plate at the front and the." And the well, how about if you don't do any of that at all? I said, well, the reason it's on the headstock, play it, and you hear what the difference is, right? right? And I go, like, now I need a little less bling. I go, like, okay, we don't build guitars with a little less bling. Yeah. We leave it to, there's plenty of people where you can buy a Gibson, and buy yourself an SG, buy yourself right. a Les Paul, and be happy. Right, right, which are all great guitars. We're not... We're not I just want to make clear we're not ripping on the big guitar companies because they make awesome guitars. No, too. no. Hey, Les Pauls, man, and yeah. SGs, they're, they're amazing guitars. Absolutely. But but I think we just make better, better guitars, and, and it comes as a handicap. The handicap is that we only sell 100 a year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe eventually someday. I mean, there's, you know, there's the hipster movement, the handmade movement. People are getting back into that, which is, which is good to see. You know, they're getting back into vinyl. They want to get back into what music used to be and what it should be today, you know, which is, which is a human. Yeah, hu- you're right, you're human- right. Hey, I may, I may sound a little negative, but I'm not. I'm really hopeful. And, and you know what? The fact alone that we get people that, that are almost like family that, that, that come to Nashville and show their guitars that are proud to play a tie and man I wish my friends could afford one or whatever it's great and and some people there's a guy in San Francisco who's got nine tires wow uh, he's got the only ever tw- uh, double neck that we built we don't want to do this anymore a hand built double neck the one off is is dramatic man yeah it sounds the, like it. it's dramatic but uh, I remember my Mark Ford of the of the crowds picking that guitar up on a show and he says to me, there's something wrong with this guitar. Wow. And I go, oh, fuck, what is it? He said, it's in balance. Hmm. The, the, the double neck that we build is probably the only double neck that's definitely in balance. You hang it around your neck, and it's right there. The, the neck is where it's supposed to be. You don't have to look for the neck because it's on your knees. And no, you... it's right there where you need it. So you only made one of those? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I mean, you made one. I mean, if you made ten, the 10th one would probably be better. You guys dial it in, you know? Yeah, this guy in San Francisco has it. Uh, unfortunately, he went to a bad uh, divorce, and his wife sold some of his uh, handmade, hand-engraved guitars for 800 bucks to Guitar Center. Oh, my. At second hand. Uh, one of the, the girl that runs the, uh, the office for me here, she said, 
can you believe it? That guitar is on the web for eight hundred dollars. So I called the guy in a called Guitar Center, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and he called me back two weeks later. I don't know where he was or what happened, but I said the guitar said that these guitars are stolen. They, these guitars are twenty thousand dollar guitars. You can't really sell them for eight hundred bucks. I would have gone. I, I would have gone and bought it. Should have bought that thing. <laughs> no, that's, I said to the guys, "Hey, uh, it's stolen." Either I'll, pay, I'll send you eight hundred dollars and you turn, you turn it into the police uh, and whatever, or I'll find a guy and he'll. So he bought he he bought back three of his guitars from Guitar Center. Oh man! Wow, that's crazy. The day the day after his ex wife set fire to his apartment. Oh my God, that's insane! Isn't that a rock and roll story? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right there. Jeez, man. Well. uh... <laughs> Evert, man, you sound like you have a ton of stories. We'd like to talk to you again sometime. We'd like to delve more into the into the record industry part of your career. But uh, uh, Taya guitars are amazing. We wanted to talk to you because we kind of wanted to get the word out, and hopefully we can maybe help you sell one or two more this year. You know what I mean? So uh, next time we're in Nashville or whenever we go to Nashville, we should try and uh, try to find you guys and maybe play some Taya's. Yeah, we're only open for uh, on appointments. Uh, but uh, we really love to see people that are dedicated to guitars and uh, we're also helping a lot of guys that cannot afford it but that we like talent wise to, to get a deal so uh, hey spread the, spread the word man what's, uh, what's the website and the uh, store that they can go check all, all of your stuff out at yeah there's, there's not a lot of stores that, that have uh, guitars uh, Righteous Guitars in Atlanta um, how to get guitars in New York, uh, the guitar shop in Brooklyn, um, there's uh, a store in Toronto, Max Guitars in the Netherlands. We only have like six, seven dealers, so it's really hard to find our guitars. Uh, if anybody has interest, call, uh, they, they should call in. I'll try to find a player near where they live. Most of the time, they're, they're happy to show their guitars off to anybody who's interested. It's it's a word of mouth business for us. Okay, and they can, but they can they can find you guys on tie.com. Yep. Okay. Absolutely, and yeah. uh, they get called twenty four hours a day. Awesome. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, thank you for talking to us today, man. Let's do it again sometime in the near future and just just talk rock and roll. Sounds like a good time. Sounds good, and uh, you're always welcome in Nashville. And uh, let's hang out. We'll uh, we'll have some fun and. Uh, and uh, we don't do drums, so one of you guys has to really uh, stand by and look at the guitar or bass playing. That'd but that's be me. I can. I know like three <laughs> chords, man. I fucking kill that shit. That is more than me. I refuse. <laughs> I've always refused to play an instrument. So right, maybe make one drum set for me. I don't know. You know, you know wait, I can just come look at it. I'm sure I couldn't afford it. But I'm sure it'll be great <laughs> if you guys do decide okay. to make some drums. Hey, we'll get it going. We'll borrow something. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you again. I appreciate it. We'll. Uh, We'll, we'll be in touch if we come down to Nashville. Okay, thanks a lot, right, and uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah.